Welcome to Primetime Conversations. Here's your host, James Tunstall. Hey everyone, welcome to the show. Got another great guest today. Uh, a lot of people remember him as the uh, crazy bass player from Alien Ant Fan, but today we know him as Mr. Ty Samara. Ty, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Crazy bass player, huh? I was never that crazy. He was animated, is yeah, the word. I'm bass player. There you go. That's a better one. How is things? Everything all good? Everything's going great. Right now, everything's smooth sailing right now. Hmm. Uh, what's the news been like over there with uh, the potential of World War Three over here? It's been it's been all over, but I think I suppose because we're in Europe, it definitely affects us more. But what's been the uh, general reception of it from the US? Well, I mean, we've got a lot of support for Ukraine and Ukrainians right now. I mean, we don't none of not one single American, I think, wants this happening or no. idea or anything. So there's a lot of heavy support. We're having protests in our streets, not, you know, something major. And I don't think it's impacting, but at least I think, you know, Americans want to show people that they care, um, you know, regardless of. I, you know, the, I think the sentiment over here right now is no one really has any faith or trust in what's going on in our government right now. Yeah. A lot of people don't believe that um, the president is actually in charge. And yeah, that, uh, it comes across like that over here in the UK. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's, I think it was just a, you know, we were walloped with, with two presidents in a row that were, oh my God, it's just, yeah, it's like a reality television show over here. Yeah, it is. Uh, I can't believe that, that, you know, in the last, how many decades it seems like now, what they've given us to, to run a country, what they would consider the world's most powerful position. And, and you know, and, and this is what they give us. This is the best that they got. It's, it's mind blowing, but you know, just the current state right now, I think everyone has very little faith in, in our president or, our, or that our administration could do anything, mm -hmm. you know, right? So uh, everyone's kind of, I think, hoping for the best, but, but thinking that there could be a nuclear bomb going off at any minute as well. Probably. <laughs> I don't know about up. your guys' press, but our press is like, they love that whole fear mongering thing. Oh, it's the same over yeah. here. And same with our uh, politics and our leaders. So, I mean, our prime minister is Boris Johnson. Yeah. And you know, he looks like a clown. Um, but you know, I, I don't think I don't think any country besides Ukraine, he, that their president is a hero. But yeah, over here, everyone loves him over here. You know, that they, they I mean, I've just got off with the off the phone with a friend last night that was telling me, man, whatever it would take to get him to come over here and be our president. And I, I, I try to vote in any amendment that would make a foreigner <laughs> allowed to be. But, you know, it's just the sentiment of, of, of having a leader like that. Somebody that tells another country, you know, to basically, you know, get out of here where we're, I'm staying here and I'm fighting, you know, that's, I guess that's the way it used to be back in the days, but did you see the video of him uh, trolling uh, Putin? Uh, no, I haven't. I haven't seen much. I've, I've, uh, I mean, I've been watching as as much as I can, and I see like little stuff of Zelensky, uh, but I haven't seen anyone. 
I mean, I heard that that uh, Snake Island thing and the Ghost of Kiev, or I think it's Kiev, that uh, like those ended up being propaganda and being false. I think the uh, Ghost of uh, Kiev, actually, um, I, th I think it was from a video game. <laughs> I'm yeah. pretty sure it was. But yeah. now, so apparently, you don't know what's real, we don't know, but apparently Putin is proper, like, hiding somewhere in, like, a base or whatever. Yeah. And he's got, the, and he was doing an interview, and I don't know if he had, like, a green, I think he had a green screen, and there's, like, a little microphone in front of him. So he's putting his hand out, but his hand like goes through the microphone. Yeah, yeah. And it's and so he's pretending to be in this like just this normal building, like with yeah. all officials, but apparently he might be hiding in the bunker. So the Ukrainian president, he was in a board meeting and he done an interview, and there was the mic in front of him. So just to troll Putin, he actually got the mic and pushed it to one side to show it was real. Yeah. So I thought, oh, what a legend. <laughs> Yeah, I can't imagine that Putin's country's pretty, you know, I, I can't imagine they're happy or, you know, I, I imagine they're pretty upset about what, what they're doing right now or what he's doing. I don't think, I don't think his country would be behind him. You know, I don't think they would think it's okay. And I know they're getting delivered a bunch of propaganda as well and saying that, you know, I heard that he, he was telling uh, soldiers that they were going in to liberate these people yeah and that they were you know experiencing whatever so you know I, I can't imagine he's in a good spot i imagine probably a lot of his people would want to do away with him right now so oh yeah um i mean we will get to the music in a minute but um but over here so we've got football clubs soccer clubs you call them and one of the our clubs over here chelsea's based in london and they've had a russian owner roman abramovich and he's been the owner since 2003, so nearly 20 years. So because our government is putting sanctions on these like Russian millionaire billionaires who's got all these big businesses, he's trying to sell his club now before the government basically takes the club away from him in assets. And it's and that's what they're doing. They're trying to put these sanctions in place for these oil acts and everyone like that to get them to turn on Putin, basically. So uh it's interesting to see how it develops. Hopefully it resolves pretty quickly and in a peaceful manner, but we don't yeah. know. So until then, I'm just going to do a podcast and see how it goes till then. <laughs> yeah. I mean, over here, people are trying to point fingers. That lasted for about a day, you know, because everything mm. that happens here, regardless if it's, you know, some kid gets shot or, you know, they try to turn it into to some kind of of tool of division over here yeah i've seen that yeah either racist racism or it's you know but right when this first started they were like oh you know republican people are, are praising putin and it's like nobody's praising putin. no nobody likes putin over here no. yeah it that's the thing with politics like me i'll be honest ty i'm fairly central i just look at who i believe it's the best leader, I've got the best policies, which they never do anyway. Yeah. But there's not even that sort of thing what's just like a little bit left or a little bit right. It's like far left or far right. Yeah. And yeah. it's not just the US, I've seen that in the UK. And it's, and it's, and they don't even, it's not, they don't even care what, uh, what that side's policies are. It's just that they've picked a side 
and they're yeah. sticking to it blindly. And I'm like, well, like, you just need to, like, learn some, you know, yeah. self I don't know, uh, some independence and, like, think things through before you make these choices. But um, it's crazy. <laughs> it really is. It is. And it's at the center of everything right now. You know, it's, it's everything's politicized and, you know, music's politicized, movies. Yeah. Everything's close. It's hard to get away from it now. It's just, it's such the topic. And, and I have a lot of, you know, cause I'll go out there and I'll, I'll state things on my Facebook or, you know, Instagram and I'm making fun of the current administration, like a lot. And I have been ever since they try to get voted in because I, I just thought they were terrible. And, mm. you know, and that's from all their past and uh, not saying that, you know, I, I don't, I don't really dig on Trump, but a lot of his policies, you know, really helped us here, you know, and made us a stronger nation. And, uh, you know, so I was just like nothing with the Biden guys, you know, but I've always seen myself as more of a libertarian, which is pretty much right down the middle. Yeah. And all freedom, you know, and all kind of do what you want to do. And now I feel like, you know, I agree with guys like, like Joe Rogan a lot. I agree with guys um, like uh, Bill Maher a lot. You know, yes. There's a lot of lefties that I agree with, and there's you know, I'm not too into like the whole church side of things, and and you know, I feel like there's there's certain rights that should be up to people, and you know, moral some moral things. I I think it's kind of for the individual, but I've always saw myself as being you know. If, if right at all, slightly to the right, you know, mm. and, uh, but right now, the way everything's going, I felt like, well, I wouldn't say right now, I'd say recently, I always felt far right now. Yeah. <laughs> and now I feel like, like the middle is starting to become the middle again. Yeah. All right. You know, that that's the thing with Joe Rogan, then, like yourself, I listen to it every week. And when he's having these guests on, because people's like, like with a vaccine at the minute and everything like that, like me personally, I haven't had the vaccine. Uh, I'm not anti-vax by any means. My parents uh, have had the vaccine. I've got family members who's had it. And uh, they've said to me, what do you think? I'm like, if you want to take it, take it. And I say that to anyone else. Uh, they say, well, what, why haven't you taken it? I'm like, because they've cooked this thing up within a few weeks and I'm waiting to see the side effects. When my mother had the vaccine, I'm tormented. I'm like, oh, you're gonna have two heads like a mutant, <laughs> and um, but I'm just waiting to see the side effect. But people say to me, well, don't you think you're a risk? And I'm like, well, no, because if because I test myself every week, yeah. and, I'm, and I'm like, if I do test positive, I'll just stay at home for a week, yeah. you know. Uh, but that's but when they're trying to condemn Rogan about it, they're saying, well, Rogan's talking like he's an expert. I'm like, no, Rogan's talking to actual experts and getting what they're saying the media over here is like their prime time is getting like seven hundred thousand viewers during yes and he's getting 11 million plus an episode that's yeah. what it boils down to that's all it boils down to i don't know if you know neil young they're they're they have this whole thing of follow the money and you know how, how it all links back to pfizer money and you know maybe he got told you know since he sold his catalog or 50 percent of his catalog for 150 million maybe they they had a meeting where they said you know we need the help and you know he, he 
Neil Young might not like Joe Rogan or mm-hmm. some people are really convinced that this vaccine is the way to go. And I took it and I ended up getting really sick. Yeah. Up in the hospital. And, um, you know, now I won't get the booster. No. And, and I have everyone that's pretty much in this house that didn't have the vaccine that caught it was over it real quick. And I ended up getting the same strand because I got it from them. Yeah. Vaccinated one. And I'm the one that ended up in the hospital and was dying. So, you know, it's really, it's really hard to say. I know they told me in the hospital, Facebook, you know, they banned me because, well, not banned me, but took my content off the air, gave me a warning uh, because I was telling people in the hospital and getting COVID, I learned that getting the vaccine, this wasn't the thing at the time, but getting the vaccine doesn't prevent you from getting it and it doesn't no. prevent you from spreading it. The only thing that the vaccine could do is help you fight it if you get it. It can maybe, maybe, and the only reason why I would say it does for a fact um, is because when we were looking at the numbers, if we trust the numbers, you got to say, but if we're looking at the numbers of unvaccinated versus vaccinated deaths, it was all heavy on the unvaccinated side. Yeah. So, but it, it, in my case, it, it didn't prevent me and maybe prevented me from passing away, but it didn't prevent me from getting as sick as you could possibly get on it, you know? Mm -hmm. So without having to be on a ventilator, I was in ICU. My, I was, I was literally probably like one night of progressing the way that I was progressing uh, away from being put on a ventilator. And I was doing everything to a T. I was taking whatever experimental drug they would give me, anything to keep from getting on the ventilator. So, you know, that's what ended up happening. <laughs> yeah, my um, my father hasn't had COVID, thankfully, because uh, he's the one who I'm scared for of catching it because he's had health issues, heart problems, some breathing issues as well. He's the main one I'm worried about. Uh, my mother, uh, she's had the vac- she had both vaccines, she had the booster, she still got COVID, uh, but not go off her feet for a day and she was fine. Uh, my sister's had it, my brother's had it, my wife has had it. Um, but yeah, my in-laws, everyone I know has had it except me. <laughs> so. yeah. I don't, you, I don't know. You just don't know. So I, heard, I have a, a band that I'm close to that I worked for for a while and talked to one of their guys. And they said there was only a couple guys that weren't vaccinated that were in the crew. And yeah. everyone in that band caught it while they were like in their tour and they had to cancel their tour. And the guys that were unvaccinated were the only ones that didn't catch it. So weird to say you know i don't know what conspiracies well oliver stone calls those uh not conspiracy theorists truth finders or truth (laughs) i kind of go ah okay okay but i mean when when some of the stuff is true and and throughout this thing what joe rogan was was getting up getting busted for or what he came out and he said you know, this was considered misinformation at the time. Now it's a fact. And yeah. that was the things that I got tagged for misinformation. Now it's fact. Yeah, so, it's... I mean, and 
it's like it's like the move in the goalpost because they said like we will talk about music <laughs> but it's i think that originally kids can get covid they're not a risk and then there's like well they're potentially a risk well now they are a risk and it's just they they just seem to move the goalposts and you just don't know what to believe like i said i'm no big right-wing conspiracy theorist same as i'm no big left-wing you know conspiracy theorist i'm fairly neutral i pay attention to what's happening but I think COVID's just one of them, like the flu. And it's just uh, the first strain, which was it September you said you got it? Yeah, I got the second strain. I got the D variant. Yeah, so that was still pretty serious. Uh, yeah, that was a but, real, that was gnarly one. Yeah, I think I think that's I think that's what my father-in-law had as well, because he had these about August time. So yeah, we're yeah. about the same times, and that was pretty serious, but Thankfully, the latest variants seem to be a lot less deadly and severe. Yeah, I don't think they were lung orientated, but the D variant was still going around. So, mm. you know, we were still experiencing a lot of deaths because that hadn't gone away yet. And the new one, you know, everyone was, I think that's probably what my son got. And he ended up like, I, he felt like crap for maybe a day, but it wasn't even that bad. No. Uh, like four or five days or something like that that was it hmm. are you in uh california yeah 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 southern california like L like little slightly outside of la area yeah how was lockdown for you then because over here we had like strict lockdown for three months what was it like your end when it was at its worst um it well for me if it's it sucks so i had my three kids here my ex-wife slash their mom, um, she was living in Boston for that time. Oh, wow. And uh, she asked if she can bring him out there because the guy that she was dating worked at home. And I had had them at that point for, man, probably a couple years, uh, maybe two years or something like that. And she had only maybe visit them like um, once a month or once every other month or so. So she was really wanting to see them. So right when that started happening, when the schools closed, she asked if I would bring them to Boston. I was like, there's no way I'm bringing them to Boston. She's like, well, will you meet me halfway if I pay for your travel expenses? I was like, sure, I'll drive, you know, I'll take a little trip with the kids, whatever. So it started out for us is, is going to hotel rooms, wiping everything down, having the masks on, taking it very seriously. Uh, we did that for a couple of days. Then I came back, I came back home, um, had no kids for months. And wow. yeah, for, uh, I think it was, they went at maybe the beginning of April and I think they came back at the beginning of June or mid June or something like that. And uh, so I just partied uh, like a lot of vodka, you know, just kind of drank a lot of vodka and, and uh, worked on music as much as I could. I couldn't play with anybody. No one want to play together. So I just would write and record. And, um, but, you know, I, I lost my source of income for two yeah. years. And um, I, I did, you know, cause I usually in my off time, I, I have to take care of my three kids. That's like what I do. I'm, 
Um, for the most part, I'm a single father. Um, but, uh, you know, my, my girlfriend, she's, she works all the time. So I'm always having to take care of the kids. She owns her own business. So she works works a lot. And, uh, so I'm kind of like Mr. Mom, like I was just doing laundry and stuff and I got to go pick up the kids and, and, but, you know, we're, we're playing music together. We're trying to create content and stuff to, so they have a page and we're having fun and, we just finished a cover song that we're going to see the Pixies in a couple weeks. Sweet. Um, and actually, it's like in one week from from Wednesday. Um, so we're we're like, hey, let's do a Pixie song. So we decided to like videotape and record a, a Pixie song. So so we you know we we hang out and, and play, but you know I've been out of work until pretty much recently. Now, now that the whole concert things are getting up, I haven't done a tour yet. I've done just, you know, one-offs and, you know, drive. I don't think we've really gone far, but yeah, it's, it's demolished us and our industry, either though they helped us a little bit, they didn't, you know, between uh, unemployment benefits, uh, the, um, the tax credits all that stuff i mean it helped but it's i've nowhere near what yeah no and all these businesses like all these you know california is a is an area where it's like the economy is driven by uh mom pa stores Mm. we have so many independent business owners here it's it's ridiculous um I think like 30% of those because of the lockdowns and they're not coming back. So that, yeah, that really hit us hard. And I know that, you know, I know that the whole Ukraine thing's kind of covering that up right now, but a lot of people are really upset that that happened. So, I mean, it might end up changing the way the vote is or the way some people vote or the way they think or, you know, I know that's changed a lot of minds, but you know, for the most part, besides just losing money, uh, the lockdown for me was just getting drunk. Yeah. And, I mean, I'd rather not, but is it was, was kind of weird. We didn't want to go anywhere. You know, we did everything that we could. We covered up the way that we did. We, I wouldn't say we were overly paranoid, but we were cautious. You know, we did the whole hands got all cracked and crazy because of cleaning them so much. Not that I'm complaining, but, you know, just trying to stay safe. Um, Didn't interact with anybody. We had birthday parties where, you know, my brother had his 50th, I think during it. And my parents came and they're there. My dad has diabetes. He's high risk. And uh, he's, he's going to be 79 this year. So he was what, like 77, why this happened, 78, 77, 78. So we were like, you know, doing like the drive-by birthday parties uh, or we'd get out of our car and have the cake there, but no one would be close to each other. Yeah. So we did all that stuff and we did, you know, we did all the precautions. My girlfriend's in the beauty industry. So she got completely shut down. So it got really stressful here for a while. Yeah, it's uh, same for myself. I'm self-employed, so 
for three or four months. I was basically sat on my hands. Um, fortunately, they changed it enough where I could go to work. I'm a con- he's got a contractor over there, so that's what I do. So, but thankfully, with my job, I'm always by myself. Yeah. So um, it's interacting with the customers and like at a distance, and then I can crack on and do one do so. I was fortunate in that sense, but even just them three and four months, that nearly killed me. Yeah. Um, what's the gas prices over there like? Because over here, so uh, I, I won't be able to convert it from sterling to dollars, but basically over here, diesel started off at £1.10 a litre. Yeah, today it's up to £1.70. It's jumped up by 60 pence oh, since it's lockdown. Oh, wait, no, you're a leader. That's right. Yeah. No, no we're gallon-based. So um, we are at our, our bottom, our lowest price, uh, regular, whatever that is, 80, 89, I think, or 87. Uh, yeah. Octane is uh, at the cheapest that I can find it right now is $4, $4.79, I believe, wow. right now or 76, but it's, it's one of those, uh, the average in California right now, well, this was a couple of days ago and it literally jumped up like 30 cents. That's right. In the last couple hours, like it's, so, so it was five, I think five, five dollars, seven cents was the average for California. Um, I don't know what that, because I mean, there's people love taxes in California. They love it. They will vote for anything. They're like a kangaroo mouse. Oh yeah. Put more taxes on our gasoline, you know? Oh, you know, whatever it is, they'll, they'll put gasoline tax in and our governor, which, you know, almost we try to recall him because he's so bad. He, um, he put a tax or we we voted for I didn't but we voted for a gasoline tax. Yeah. Our, our taxes that we pay on our gasoline is more than what we're paying in gasoline. It's it's so it's like like it's something it's somewhere like I mean I don't know the statistics I just saw the thing and I was like oh my god I can't believe that that people were that stupid but I guess they are. Um, yep. <laughs> but. Uh, they they they'll they'll say they always say school and roads school and roads and everyone goes yeah yeah because they know everyone's dumb enough to give more taxes or they'll pay an extra 10 cents every year more you know on their gasoline per gallon uh for school and roads and they'll always divert it to something else they'll yeah. always divert that and the recent one is they diverted it to climate change so and people just love that here you know they're just like oh yeah climate change let's do that let's let's pay more money in gas because we know that's gonna fix it so it's it, yeah it got, what, there's a saying uh ty common sense ain't that common yeah it's not it's definitely not and that's what I, it's kind of now it's like it's not it's not so much Democrat versus Republicans here anymore. It mm. was, but now it's kind of getting more common sense versus the crazy. Oh uh, yeah. Um, definitely the minority. Oh, definitely. I do a, um, I also do a wrestling podcast. Uh, well, this was originally a wrestling podcast when I first started, but now I do entertainment, but I also do another wrestling podcast. 
and uh, during we've had lots of guests and we've spoke about the opioid crisis in California. Is that still quite a big deal over there? Yeah. Real big deal. I mean, it's been, a, it's just gets worse and worse. I mean, you know, open border policies over here that they just let it come through. And, you know, they're trying to get, they, 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 they mask it as dreamers coming through and everyone wants people to come here and have a great opportunity if they want it, you know, they want them to escape those kind of countries, you know, but what ends up happening is the cartels exploit that and, yes. and the, in, in the child trafficking and the human trafficking and, and, you know, drug dealing, whatever they, it all gets exploited. And now it's to the point to where, you know, this country has such a bad fentanyl problem. Yeah, where we spoke about that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can kill everybody in this country something like seven times now, something like that, the amount of fentanyl that we have coming into this country. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just, it's, it's, I have never, I'm 44 years old, and I know heart disease is like the number one killer here, but I would say I know more people that have died in the last couple of years, I'd say like the last three, four years from fentanyl than, wow. than anything that I've ever, you know, like more than heart disease, heart attacks, cancers, uh, COVID, all those. I know more. And the sad thing is it's, it's people that are not drug addicts. It's people no. that are dying at once or they don't realize that, you know, their cocaine is laced with it. They don't realize. I've that. had weed as well. People's putting it on people's weed. Well, I was just going to post something um, the other day, and I'm probably going to post it here now um, or within the next day or two about a video that's educating people. And they're saying that it's now it's in weed and, and all that. It's like a 23 minute real stories from parents that lost their kids that, you know, were doing well in school and it's just watching the parents sitting there crying say this is not what they would want they wouldn't want to hurt their family like this like we were all good you know we were all good we had had, like this wasn't a suicidal person this was a person that ended up taking something that they didn't know they were taking so i it's it's been a real bad problem here um, when I first started out with Soli Erna playing for him, my first show with him was, was at a, um, like an awareness, awareness rally for opioid crisis in the Northeast. And it was pretty alarming because I believe it was maybe the beginning of October or maybe even earlier than that. It might've been September, but we did a show um just a little show just you know to uh show show the support but they put for everybody and i believe it was just like in that county i'm not sure if it was that county or it was the state of new hampshire i can't remember but we did it at the city hall of of this of this city and the whole lawn was covered by somebody who passed away from opioids wow and I'm saying, I mean, there was like thousands of them. And it was just that year alone up to that point. So it was only like 10 months at the time, if that. 
And the place was just covered with crosses everywhere. And every single, I think they had the names of the person on every single one or whatever. So they had a real count. It wasn't like, you know, they were making it look drastic. And that was the first time besides, you know, driving through areas like Cincinnati or, you know, just wherever, and you see billboards for it. Yeah. That first time it was like actually in front of my face. I think that was, um, that was like, I think 2017. So to where it's already been an, an epidemic by then, you know, and it's only gotten worse because I didn't know anybody that had an opioid, even an opioid problem. Mm. let alone moving here and knowing people that are basically dying of synthetics rather than opioid but yeah it's it's either you you know you you take the oxycontins or the codones or whatever and then you become a heroin addict and now it's just like you're taking what you think is an oxycontin might even be the first time too much fentanyl and you're dead you know yeah, it's a um, deadly thing, Ty. I mean, uh, things used to be so simple 20 years ago in the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, I don't know if that's a great segue, but I suppose it's the one way we can get it. Um, let's, let's talk some music. Let's uh, go a little bit upbeat for everyone. Um, but yeah, I suppose Alien Amp Farm, it was, uh, was it uh, Terry who came up with the name of the band? Yeah, he came up. He came up with the name. We wanted some kind of spacey thing. I was a little, you know, eighteen-year-older when we started the band, and uh, you know, I I kind of felt like I was always a guitar player before that. I was in right uh, only like one. I would say one serious band before. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, it's like a band that I thought can actually make it, and so I played guitar. And then when we you know when mike and i started playing i was playing bass and i thought i was so cool at the time so i wanted to name the band you know we wanted like a spacey theme so i was like oh let's name let's call ourselves masters of the universe you know <laughs> be so cool and so amazing musicians and whatever but we kind of stuck with the theme but i think we kind of toned it down i i, I was i was thinking a little too large for my for my own good <laughs> to be fair Ty, with the conversation we've had just a minute ago i wouldn't be surprised if this is an alien amp fan <laughs> yeah. yeah right i mean it's seriously i mean yeah but yeah terry came up with the name and uh that's essentially what it was it, it, like it, it you know i kind of i kind of do think believe that a little bit though i can't help but believe it yeah. <laughs> we're definitely a reality show <laughs> yeah, I'm not a I'm not a uh, a huge like believer of, but but it just kind of seems like it makes sense, you know. Yeah. I got I got a shit ton of of back problems, and I would have to say that's because we're probably not supposed to be from this planet, and <laughs> our gravity is just, the gravitational pull here might just be a little too much for us, and it's probably. giving us all kinds of aches and pains, but. Uh, but yeah we're just getting old ain't we (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah it's true but uh yeah we're not supposed to live this long so (laughs) body should be breaking down right now but uh but yeah i i've always when he first came up with that concept of like 
you know, the aliens look putting the human race on the planet and watching from afar. I always, I always thought that was a real cool idea yeah. concept, you know, even though I think, I think the whole idea and concept sounds like, I think the name alien ant farm to me sounds playful. It's, you know, and it's a great name for a TV show as well. I do. I think it's actually called the X-Files, but, <laughs> and I think that's where he might've actually got it is that I think they were talking about uh, something. There might be some dialogue in that actual show where I think he said there is right. one big alien ant farm. So I think that's actually where he got it. Right. Mistaken. Um, but I never seen the scene or I've never, I never researched it. And I watched X-Files, X-Files for a while. I watched uh, it, yeah. But I didn't, you know, and I, I'm pretty sure either... I know it was an influence. I don't know if it was like a direct thing, but I think it was something he was watching and then he was kind of thinking about that concept while he was wor at work and and was like, oh, let's try Alien Ant Farm, you know? And it was weird because, you know, we had like Masters of the Universe, which I, I knew was kind of a joke, uh, but I, I liked the cockiness. I liked the, uh, I liked the, um, you know, I know it's He-Man, but I like the, um, you know, the the sentiment of thinking they're like, oh, we're so good. You know, that confidence coming out like that, you know, um, especially when we were in other bands and we're like, oh, we're breaking up our other bands to be this one band. Yeah. Uh, that was a really, real cool way to, for musicians, a rock band, aggressive rock band to come out kind of just like swinging, saying this is how we feel about ourselves. And we haven't even written like any songs or we only have like one or two songs, you know, and just kind of think of ourselves that way. So it was kind of just like, we thought we were going to be successful no matter what, like we were going to do it or die. And uh, so that, that portion of it, I really, I really believed in, but as soon as he, he said alien ant farm i don't think we i don't think it, no one shot it down no one said i really think this would be a better name there was never a list there was there was none of that stuff it was just once he said it everyone kind of looked around at each other and the concept was explained like you know like you know putting the people here and the aliens watching from afar and i think we all just said yeah that'll work mm. I think that's yeah let's go with that and it was it was really weird. It was there was not much thought to it. It was just one of those things that you know, when an artist writes a song, and he spends or they spend literally like thirty seconds on it, and it ends up becoming a huge hit. It's just one of those things where it's just like, dude, it was so easy. It was just so meant to be. It was just so easy. And I think picking the name was was one of those. Like it was so easy because it was meant to be type of things. Awesome. Um, I suppose we'll talk about when it when I first time. So growing up, I was a Michael Jackson fan, and all of a sudden I've heard your version of Smear Criminal." I'm like, "What's this?" <laughs> the same Michael Jackson, and I must have been nine, ten, maybe when it came out. Uh, what not about that? And I loved it. And like I had family uh, relatives who loved it. All my friends at school loved it. What led to the decision of recording Smooth Criminal? So it 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 has quite a little history behind it. I was 
Uh, my dad got that when VHS was really big. My dad got the Moonwalker VHS. Right. And I was kind of just, I mean, everyone in the band was a Michael Jackson fan, but I was really, there was something about Smooth Criminal that I couldn't get enough of. And I watched that videotape every day for, man, I can't even tell you how long. It was a long, long time. And I would watch it periodically. And there was just something about it that just, uh, it just overwhelmed me. I didn't realize it was something that was like telling me, you know, hey, hey, you need to, you need to fall in love with this so you can have a, make a living for yourself or something. But, um, but uh, I, I jammed it a couple times with Mike because Mike and I, we were kind of really the, um, the guys that started the group. And it kind of, the whole the Alien Ant Farm thing came out of Mike and I's passion to play with each other and our wanting to play with each other in a band. And we had like, we would play like Primus covers and stuff, but we would always get together. We try to practice at least four times a week. We were really dedicated to it. And Mike and I would meet up usually hours sometimes. Yeah. The guys would, and that's where a lot of our songwriting came from, or that's where I would work out some parts that I had going on in my head. That's where some of the songs, like Mike wrote songs that were started with the beat first, and I would put music to it. So a lot of that stuff happened there. A lot of the, a, a lot of the Amp Farm writing came out of, of Mike and I just jamming together a lot, you know. Um, so Smooth Criminal was one of those songs where we would jam, um, mess around with it. But one day, Terry, we were in between songs. Terry was tuning up his guitar and I just started playing it. Mm. And so Mike knew, because we were messing around with it before at rehearsal, he just started jamming in on it, you know? And we actually like really started playing it. And I just kept doing the bow on it, you know, bow, bow, and we played that for a little bit. And I shit you not, man, just between a bass player and a drummer, that crowd went absolutely apeshit. Wow. Absolutely apeshit to where when we got done with that show, we all looked at each other and said, we, you know, we, we got to cover that song. That's, there was magic in that song. There's something about it you know and so we ended up learning it right away like probably within the next practice which after a show probably happened no more than two days later and learned the song and we were off we we the first time I mean every time we would play it around here or I would say the southwest uh, United States because that's really as far as we went we I mean we might have went up to like Washington State, but our, we were kind of like Nevada, Phoenix, Arizona, Las Vegas, Nevada. We would probably, you know, go up to like maybe central or uh, Northern California, and that was about it. And all, oh, obviously Southern California. Um, but every time we played it, and people didn't have a recording of it or a recording of our stuff, and they were finding out about us the first time. Every time we played that, everyone either went crazy or it turned heads, or we just won the audience. Wow. Everything. It was just, there's a strange magnetism about that song. 
that I don't even think Michael Jackson had. You know, mm. it's he had the song, he had the the chord progression, he had everything there, except he didn't do it the way that we did it. He didn't do it hard rock. And if I think he would have did it hard rock version, I mean, he was already doing stuff like Dirty Diana, you know. Yeah. And, and it was on that same album. And That's right. Had, had he treated Smooth Criminal the way he treated Dirty Diana, I think he would have had a number one hit. You know, I think it would have, it would have been something that would have, you know, it would have done what we did to it. You know, and we, I mean, we took that everywhere and, and it did well. How much fun did you film in the music video? I didn't have much fun at all. I hated shooting no. that music video. It was about 108 degrees in Van Nuys. <laughs> and we had to be on harness. And so we had to, I had to wear clothes. And I'm not a small guy. I'm, you know, I'm a, at that time I was probably, I don't know. I'm, I'm not that tall either. I'm only like five, nine. And I'll say it's right. <laughs> yeah. Five, nine. And, uh, and right now I'm like 250 pounds, but at that time I was like 200, I don't know, maybe 210 or something like that. 215. So like that. So I was a heavier guy. That was when Dryden was probably like 135. And yeah, he was gonna <laughs> 30, you know, like like Mike Dryden is smaller guys. So we had to have clothes on. And then they put this harness thing on, and then we had to put clothes on top of that. So I was dying. I thought I was having a heart attack. Like my 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 heart was just racing. Here I am, like 24 years old, I think. And it's just, I'm like, dude, am I going to have a heart attack? I'm 24 years old. Like, <laughs> what the hell is going on? But it was just so hot outside and probably being dehydrated and whatever. So I had a real hard time shooting that video. Um, but, you know, the end result was was amazing. And just being in that wrestling rink, um, I, I would say the, the shooting the video was was cool, out, even though it was 107 or, I shit you not, it was really like that hot outside. Yeah. And uh, so that that really sucked, but uh, it was just the harness. We had to be in that harness for quite some time, like a couple hours, I think. And I just always felt like I was like I was dying for like a couple hours. It was just the worst, one of the worst experiences of my life. Seriously, <laughs> but you know, shooting videos and playing rock star. You know, because I would say at that time we were still playing Rockstar because um, we hadn't quite broke out crazy yet. So, but I mean, all that stuff's fun. You know, that's it's a lot of fun. And you, know, you got movie trailers and all these production people that are all, you know, treating you a certain way. And you kind of feel like you get that taste of I can get away with whatever the hell I want to get away with right now. And you kind of understand why Hollywood celebrities are so fucked in the head. Why they're treated. What was the uh, feedback from Michael Jackson himself when he heard Smooth Criminal? I would imagine he, got, he was rewarded with the royalties quite a fair bit, so he must have been quite happy about that. <laughs> yeah, I think he made half of the money. I think that's yeah. half of the royalties for writing it, and we got the performance. Um, he actually liked it. We, we heard... Uh, we did a tribute show. I believe this is where we met him, but we did a tribute show uh, for him and the his photographer, like his the guy did everything for him. 
came and talked to us and he was like, Hey, I, I don't know if you know this, but I want you to let you, I want to let you know that um, Michael loved your guys's version of it. And he really got a kick out of it because Quincy, Quincy Jones hated it. He, he didn't really oh, didn't and not our version, but he didn't like Michael's oh, version. Right. So when we did it, it was kind of like one of those things where Michael was like, see, I told you it was a hit song. Like, you know, cause I don't think Quincy ever really got behind it. So I don't know if that, you know, I think he took it to like number 16 or something like that. And I don't think, you know, I don't know if Quincy's influence on it, not liking it, didn't make that a number one single or, you know, I'm sure Quincy could have probably got it to a number one, but I don't know if his production value on it changed because he didn't really like it that much. He didn't believe in the song. So yeah, I just, I, it just went over his head and I think Michael appreciated that ours went to number one so he could appoint it to, to tell Quincy like see I told you dude I told you <laughs> the song you just didn't know what to do with it kind of thing so I mean I'm making all that up but that's actually did you know he really enjoyed it but um the photographer the guy that actually took that famous um picture of Michael's feet doing the whole stand-up and it has the lines after it that he's the guy that took that picture wow took that shot so it's a you know so that so you know the guy's legit and that's like his business card too is that shot he took sorry so that was cool and while it was blowing up jermaine hit us up and said he really liked it too and and appreciated what we were doing and stuff uh when we shot the video we sent it to michael to um get like the okay because it was it was a fun video and it was all this parody of him and we didn't want to offend him mm -hmm. we want him to see it as a respect and having a good time at the same time and he didn't like the little dancing kid with the mask on yes thought that was offensive so or at least at, at the beginning he thought it was kind of offensive so um, he asked us to reshoot it, which we did, and said to take the kid's mask off. Uh, we took it off, reshot it, sent it to him. He said, you know what? Actually, I think it does look better with the mask on. Go back to the original version. So that's that, kid, that kid was ahead of the time with COVID as well. <laughs> yeah. It's funny how that, like, I, you know, me, at I left in 2014. And, you know, I've always was, you know, they never released anything without me playing on it, writing on it, anything like that. So I've always had writing credits and everything and, and made the same amount of money, sometimes more uh, on, on writing stuff than the guys did. Like me and Dryden made more because we, we had more uh, stake in the publishing, I guess you would say. Yeah. With when it came to residuals not much but you know just some things here and there we would get a little bit more credit or something but for the most part it was like uh it was all like 25 percent each member uh we would split everything up so when when that whole thing was anytime they would release an album or 
something would happen where they would kind of get like a, a resurgence or something would happen. They're out there working. I'd be like, come on, guys, you can do better than that. Like, give, give me more money, man. Give me, give me some more money. You know, I was always one of those things where, you know, oh, let COVID's out. Now the alien Empire's getting spins and I'm like out there and I'll, you know, try to uh, promote it as much as I can. Cause I'm like, Hey man, keep making me more money. This is great. This is awesome. They can go out there and sweat it out and play it on the stages where I just sit at home and take, take care of kids, work on music and get paid. It's great. Well, <laughs> my favorite song from years tie ins actually my son's favorite. One of their favorite songs is movies. Oh, okay. I absolutely love movies. And you filmed two videos. There was the original one where it was in a suit free. So I've seen the one where you are in like a like a film studio, but yep. and obviously there's the main one, the theater. Yeah. Um, but the one what I want to talk about the theater one. Obviously, it's a fun interview. You're parodying all these movies, but the main skit is the Karate Kid and Mr. Miyagi, and yeah. I know that your kids do martial arts. So I was I would imagine you're a Cobra Kai fan. Yeah, yeah, totally a Cobra Kai fan. The whole family is. And, you know, we're, I mean, it, that started out with with uh, Karate Kid. We're big Karate Kid fans, you know. That's Same still, still to this day, I think the original Karate Kid is like one of my top 10, has to be one of my top 10 movies of all time. I saw it in the movie theater. My dad was like, oh, I'm going to take you to this movie called Karate Kid. And, uh, me and my brother was kind of like, what? Karate Kid? Because anything that's got like the name boy in it or kid or you're kind of just like, what is this? This is going to be some like Hallmark movie. And uh, it ended up being one of our favorite. I mean, that was like a movie when that ended. We were like cheering at the end of that movie when we were kids, you know. I was and I was team Johnny back then. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> I'm team Johnny now, but... Since Cobra Kai came out, I love Johnny now. I think he's amazing. But uh, but no, actually, I think Johnny got redeemed and he got redeemed at the end of the movie and then everyone liked Johnny at the beginning of part two. Yeah. I think Johnny was redeemed right away. Right when he gave, when he handed Daniel-san the trophy and he was like, you did it, man. You earned it, whatever. Yeah. He was like, oh, Johnny's a good guy. He's Johnny is a good guy. <laughs> he's a good guy. Come on now. He likes he likes heavy metal and eagles and, and you know, karate, you know, stuff that kicks ass. Oh, get up, get up. I had a, I had a dog run in here. She, yeah, get. get what? Well, so how was Pat Marita, Mr. Miyagi? You must have a fun Mr. Miyagi story. <laughs> Yeah, I just told one the other day, actually, uh, I was telling my dad, uh, we call it the attitude test, and Miyagi didn't pass the attitude test with my dad. Well, my dad always has, yeah, he gives everybody the attitude test, and and if he doesn't like you, my dad just, he, he has no use for you at all. He'll just, he won't talk to you, he won't even care. So you have to pass the attitude test with my dad. This is like, every salesman every waiter like host it anywhere anywhere you go if you don't pass the attitude test my dad will just bail <clears throat> he's just out he won't he won't patronize you he won't give you a dime <clears throat> you have to be 
I guess he's like a pure consumer capitalist, whatever. So, so, I mean, good for him. He's doing it the right way. So, so Pat Morita, uh, I mean, it was cool hanging out with him. He was, you know, talking about, you know, Cheech and Chong because those were like his buddies or whatever. And he used to hang out with them, smoke a bunch of weed with those guys and stuff. So <laughs> and at the time we were, you know, uh, I wasn't, but the other guys in my band, well, two guys in my band were big pot smokers. So that was like really cool that they got to, you know, smoke weed with, with Pat Morita. Um, but Dry and I, we weren't, we weren't pot smokers. Um, but um, my, so my dad went up to him and I, I can't remember who it was, but it might've been my girlfriend's uh, younger brothers and sisters. It might've been my niece and nephew. I can't remember, but my dad got, I think some ant farm promo stuff or whatever, like a poster and asked him to sign it. And my dad was like, who's this for? And he goes, it's, it's for the kids. Like, you know, I don't know if he explained to him that he was my father, but he should have probably known if you're on a big like set and in a, in a place that's like, you know, it's like a movie set where we went and worked with him. And uh, uh, well, we worked with them in two different places, but uh, we worked with him at a, um, a movie theater on Hollywood Street or Hollywood uh, Boulevard, whatever, in Hollywood. And then we went to a uh, like a sound studio up in Silmar, California, which is kind of up there by Burbank, whatever. It's like a little north of Hollywood. And um, and uh, my dad asked him for autographs and he didn't get them. Yeah, or, or, or the guy, he, he said, um, you're not going to sell these on eBay or something like that. And my dad was like, never mind, forget you. So that's my, that was my little thing with my dad got mad at Pat Morita. And still to this day, when you talk about that, he's like, oh, man, that, no, that guy, uh-uh. <laughs> my dad has a problem with Pat Marina. it's amazing and he's gonna go to the grave with that maybe he'll be like son the last thing I have to tell you is I forgive Pat Marina <laughs> <laughs> well it's a great video and I love the song so much um I listen to it at least once a week if not once every couple of days because just love the song it was actually my my eldest. It was actually his lullaby song. I would sing it to him on nighttime to get him to sleep every yeah. time. He would just, so um, he loved That's it. Cool. Um, but all the success. But one thing I did find out a few years back um, was the big tour bus crash he's had. And it put Dryden in the real bad. Obviously, the bus driver sadly passed away. But I know it put Dryden in a bad way as well. Yeah, I broke his neck, his C2 vertebrae. We We always refer to it as the Christopher Reeves break because mm -hmm. that's what ended up uh, causing Christopher Reeves to have full paralysis. And um, yeah, I mean, he was, he was in bad shape. He went to, that happened in Spain. I believe they moved him to um, London where he got a halo traction put on. And, uh, and then they had to fly him to um to los angeles and when he got to los angeles they took that off and they had to fuse 
a bone in his hip or take out a portion of his hip to to fuse it and he has wires and screws and all that stuff in his neck and a lot of a lot of um nerve damage like he he says that his whole upper body like his whole bust neck uh shoulders area it always feels like he has a really bad sunburn mm. from it so and it, you know surprisingly i don't know if it's because of age or or um you know his physique or anything like that but um we were working on the record like a year after that happened we went from wow. thinking that you know he could potentially not walk or or anything you know and from going to that to saying okay he's he's gonna be okay um as far as walking and stuff's concerned to going like hey we think he can actually still be in the band and you know sing and perform and do all that stuff so and the, and you know it, it it was obviously it's a slow process but i thought it was amazing that we went from a bus accident to like I'm not sure exactly when that album released or when we finished recording it or <clears throat> if i think about it now it was during we were recording it while the ducks or the ducks and the devils i think it was the devils were in the stanley cup so so yeah so it had to have been like a year later that we were actually like recording the album so, wow so that was i thought that was pretty impressive to like have a couple songs ready to go for the next album deal with injuries deal with you know writing songs pre-production and then actually you know recording and, and and doing the record in like a year's time i i was pretty impressed with that i thought that was really cool that's when we got to work with the DeLeo brothers of Stone Temple Pilots. And that was quite an amazing experience. <laughs> so, um, so you mentioned earlier that you left the band in 2014. Uh, why did you leave? Uh, I know you left a bit left earlier to go to college, but mm -hmm. then you came back and then you left again. Uh, what led to that? Uh, just not seeing eye to eye, pretty much. Um, there was, you know, the, I, I would consider there was drinking and drug problems going on. Um, not nothing that was, well, I, I, I would consider it a problem not to where like someone was going to die or anything like that, but to the point to where I think it was getting in the way of progress of the band. And um, <clears throat> I feel kind of like everyone kind of lost the fire for the band in the in the band and uh and i was i i saw myself at least and they might have a whole different view on this but i saw myself is trying everything that i could and working hard for the band to try to progress and keep going forward and i always had the best intentions i you know i would go to the other players houses and record them so they wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't have to go to a studio if, if we needed, you know, tracks to be done, um, working on demos, whatever. Just, I was very involved in trying to get that whole 
train moving. And I think the label that we were on, plus the management that we had was really uninspiring because they weren't getting us gigs and they weren't really putting us out there and a lot of things that needed to be done that they weren't doing. And I wanted to just basically like get rid of everybody. And uh, once I think we had a conversation on the day that I it was like the last show that we played, uh, I sent an email out to our, our manager at the time um, that we wouldn't be working with him anymore because we just thought he was doing a poor job. Yeah. Um, and I kind of was like, this is my last straw. This is, this is it that I'm going to work with this guy. And those guys, he just wrote an email back. Oh, this isn't broken. We can fix this. And I was like, enough's enough. We've gone over that. We've had this email going on for like the last two years and we've been stagnant trying to get this album out or at least work on this album, whatever. And I mean, it's, it's basically, it's your fault because you're mismanaging the band and you can't get like the musicians are doing their thing. We're writing the songs. We're recording the songs. Like we're, we're traveling to record with different producers. We're doing what you're asking us to do. And we have a whole album and you can't seem to get the record label in line or in check or whatever you have to do as a manager, you're not doing. So when those guys decided that they didn't want to, um, they didn't want to separate ways or sever ways with the management, I just kind of threw my hands up at that time. So it was like a, a combination of the bad management, the bad decision-making in the band, uh, the laziness, no fire. And then on top of that, fights and stupid things that we would get into for no good reason, just because of drugs and alcohol. Yeah. And things that were happening that I thought we were burning bridges everywhere uh, because of, you know, uh, lewd behavior, um, you know, and when you start having kids and, and uh, you're sitting here going, dude, my reputation is kind of like, because of this guy, you know, I'm getting a bad rap and I got kids to feed and no one wants to work. And I got kids to feed. <laughs> yep. you know, I got stuff to do here and, and no one wants to do anything that I was just like, I, I'm done. You know, I'm just going to go to school and do school and, and uh, oh, actually that was, that was the first time, second time, second time. I wasn't going to go to school. I just was like, I'm going to go work for, uh, I ended up working for Limp Biscuit. Right. That's what I did when I actually left the last time was first time was for school. Second time was, yeah. was to go work for Limp Biscuit. Are you still in contact with the bands? With Limp Biscuit or Anlin Farm? Anlin Farm. I am with Mike. Um, I ran into Dryden a couple years ago, like probably a month before COVID hit. Mm. I haven't talked to him or seen him since. Um, I still talk to Mike pretty frequently. Uh, sometimes, you know, we'll we'll go and jam or or listen to music together or do you know go? We went to a football game together. Um, but yeah, me and Mike, we still hang out. And we still talk and all that stuff. I haven't spoken to Terry in 
<clears throat> probably since I left the band. And when I talked to Dryden two years ago, I was very annoyed. He was drunk. And it's one of the reasons why I, I didn't want to be in the band anymore. Because um, his behavior when he's drunk. You know, when he's sober, he's a great guy and we get along quite well and we laugh our asses off and we're very much brothers and and care for each other and all that stuff. But when he drinks, he he becomes a real bad, like, no, just, just a real jerk. Yeah. I had a similar conversation with Cohen, the bass player from Sum 41, and I asked the reason why Steve, the drummer, left the band similar story like uh, there was a lot of drinking during that time with the band and Derek lead singer was going for a really bad time yeah. and his constant drinking and things like that led towards Steve leaving because Steve couldn't cope with it anymore and that's been a long while now so similar sort of thing yeah yeah I mean I don't blame anybody that sits there and looks at something you know it's one thing when you're a kid but when you start getting older and you're just like, you know, you're just trying to have a good time with some bands. You know, I think when you first kind of get out there, a lot of bands, I mean, I, I would say we did. I don't know about a lot of bands, that, but some, some bands have this competition in them. Where yes. They better than the other bands. And the, only the bands they approve of are like the bands they try to make, have friendships with, you know, rather than just being cool to everybody, you know? Yeah. And I think that was kind of like what we did when we first came out, but I got over that this, like I would say the second time around when I came back into the band after leaving for college, I came back into the band and I was like, I, I want to do this the right way. Like I want to do this because we love to do it and have fun and be cool to each other and be cool to everybody else. And then it was like a whole other level of disrespect with the drinking and, and stuff like that with other bands and, 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 uh, and other band members and stuff. And uh, where, yeah, you just go, this isn't fun. It's yeah. just fun. Like, like I, I'm just not, I'm not enjoying this. Like, I just want to go home and be away from that guy, you know? And I kind of had like two of those in, in Alien Ant Farm. Yes. You know, I, they just, at different times, they would just rub me the wrong way. And, and then they, you know, when one would do a really bad behavior and I would call one out on it, the other one would stand up for the other one where you're just like, wow, you're encouraging bad behavior. You're, you know, you're being an enabler. Like, yes. Yeah worse so yeah it was just it was just time i felt i felt like i had you know out out whatever outlived my stay or whatever you call that like i just i needed to go and I, I just couldn't do it anymore you know doesn't mean i wouldn't play with them ever again but as of right now i don't have any interest well, before we go, Ty, um, I like to always end the interview with a fun story. And one of the things you've performed, and it's something I always wish I could have went to, but I never did, was the Vans Warp Tours. Um, I would imagine you got at least one funny story from them tours. Um, 
yeah, I guess when Pennywise wanted to kick our ass, that's a pretty funny story. Uh, <laughs> I had no clue it was going on, but uh, there was let's see, there was a lot of fun stuff that happened on that tour. That was a nightmare tour, though. Um, I would say hanging out with 311 was like the coolest part of the tour. Um, there was I have it on videotape uh, actually of Dryden doing beer bongs with outside 311's um bus they used to they had three buses and they would like park them like a compound yeah we'd always go and hang out at the 311 compound and we hit it off with those guys really well made really good friends with them still talk to them to this day um but uh i have these pictures we would go over there and we would just be ourselves and and just kind of like berate them and and uh, I think they enjoyed it. I thought they were, they, they thought it was fun watching these guys that were, you know, a little crazy or whatever. And I have Dryden on videotape where he's like taking beer bongs. All the 311 guys are there, some friends, their crew, whatever, other people. And he has his pants down and he's grabbing his dong and he's squirreling it around while he's taking beer bongs. That stuff was kind of funny. You know, when you're, in your mid twenties and you know, you're playing music for a living with guys, you know, playing with the bands that you worship sent for the last, you know, seven, eight years. And you're hanging out with them every day, you know, taking beer bongs and doing stuff like that. Like that was like some real fun. I can't yeah. believe I'm, I'm, this is my life right now. That, that's, that was really cool. <laughs> Awesome. Well, Ty's an absolute pleasure to speak to you. But before we do go, uh, if there's anything you want to promote or where people can find you on social media, uh, please tell them. Um, well, um, I believe I'm Ty Zamora on Facebook. Uh, I do a lot of, it, it's very opinionated on there, so be careful. Uh, Tymus, I believe it's T-Y-E-M-U-S, is my uh, Facebook, or not Facebook, uh, Instagram, Instagram. page. That's my personal stuff. Other than that, um, Meek is my band. It's spelled M-E-K, like Mech, but it's Meek uh, Band. Uh, you can, if you want to download or listening to my record where I'm the bass player, singer, producer, writer guy, um, look up a, an album called Red Sprite Lightning. And the band's name is Meek. Uh, I'm working on a new record right now. It's a passion project that I love doing very much. And uh, it's, it's purely for doing it for the, for the sake of the art. And, you know, I don't, I don't think a guy like me could be super popular anymore. So I'm not going to try for that. I'm just going to try to put cool stuff, stuff that I think is cool out to the world. So if you want to check it out, please do. Awesome. And yeah, it's my absolute pleasure. And yeah, hopefully, uh, if you have a guitar over in the UK, hopefully we can do this again in person. Uh, I would love to, man. I would definitely love to. Cool.